I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, New Zealand rugby is in a bit of a rut on the field. And it's England who come away as winners. Full time, England 19, New Zealand 7. Masayo kicks it out, and the Wallabies win a famous victory at Suncorp. A boil over felt in Buenos Aires. Los Pumas, muy bueno. They win against the All Blacks. Oh, wow. Piece of history. We've witnessed history here today. But off the field, we're stranded in a financial desert. New Zealand rugby is facing a financial crisis this morning. Revenue will be down by 70% this year, and that's on top of a $7.5 million loss last year. Off in the distance, an oasis has appeared. New Zealand rugby has reportedly been offered nearly half a billion dollars by a US investment company for a stake in its commercial rights. But is there something just a little bit off about selling a slice of our national game to a Silicon Valley investment firm? Liam Napier is a sports reporter with NZME. This has been bubbling away for the best part of nine months to a year. You know, in, uh, in a global rugby context, uh, private investment firms have been circling the game in the Northern Hemisphere in particular for even longer than that, probably 18 months to two years. And so it was only really a matter of time before New Zealand and Australia and the like followed suit. Uh, in terms of Silver Lake, Basically last May, a colleague of mine, um, Dylan Cleaver, him and I worked on a story where uh, we first found out that New Zealand Rugby were negotiating, talking with Silver Lake. They did negotiate with other private investment companies. Um, CVC Capital Partners is a big one that's got into the Northern Hemisphere game, Six Nations and, and English Rugby and the like. And there were others like Bruin Sports in the mix as well. But, yeah, so for the best part of nine months, New Zealand Rugby has been talking with a range of private equity firms. and so, But Silver Lake in particular, I think, were uh, the preferred partner almost from, from the get-go. Bit of context here about Silver Lake. So it's an American technology investment firm. Among its investments are companies like Airbnb, Twitter, Motorola and the City Football Group, which owns Manchester City Football Club. Back in 2013, it negotiated a buyout of the computer tech company Dell for about $24.5 billion. At the time, that was the largest tech buyout ever. It has more than $60 billion worth of assets under its management. So safe to say, it's a pretty big fish. But why is New Zealand rugby looking to sell? So I guess the yeah the background would be that New Zealand rugby has realised that their financial model's broken essentially. That you know if they continue to operate as they do, they'll run the game into the ground. It's not sustainable. In blunt terms, they spend more than they earn. If you continue to do that, you know that's not a sustainable way to run a business. So they need capital and they also need uh, expertise, particularly in the technology streaming um, broadcasting field to grow their revenue and access new markets and all these sorts of things that you know they've sort of tried to do in the past but just don't really have the clout or the, the, the networks or the expertise to, to really do it. So that's where, um, you know, the attraction, as well as the monetary value, you know, getting into bed with a, a Silver Lake per se, who have done this before with UFC. They basically helped explode that mixed martial arts platform into various parts of the world. 
They also have stakes in um, Manchester City and the New York Knicks and the Rangers. So, you know, they're pretty pretty major sporting brands that the All Blacks are going to be essentially working alongside. Now, it might seem a bit dissonant given how sleek and shiny the rugby product we're served on TV is, but rugby in Aotearoa is in financial trouble. New Zealand Rugby's 2019 annual report shows a net loss of some $7 million, and that was pre-COVID. Back in November, Chief Executive Mark Robinson revealed the impact of the pandemic had eaten a $40 million hole into the organisation's finances. That's about half its total cash reserves. Simon Porter is the chief executive of Halo Sport, an agency which represents athletes like Sam Kane, Bowdoin Barrett, Kane Williamson and Stephen Adams. There is kind of a limit on the commercial revenues that they can access. One, we've got small stadium, we've got a small population, so filling stadium is, is hard. We don't have a national stadium like Twickenham, which is owned by the RFU, which just prints money for them. They play every test there, which is... 10 tests a year where they're just filling Twickenham every single time without even trying um, and similar arrangements in other countries where they you know, they just they have that national stadium and just much bigger markets when they're selling commercial rights or media rights um, you know, TV etc. So you know, New Zealand does have limits around, around how much money it can produce from its, its game effectively. So uh, bad financial health I don't think quite fair but but it's certainly there are some just natural geographical um, and also the way rugby is organised around the world around test matches and having to play up north and not getting revenue shares and, and all that sort of stuff just, just means that um, you know we, we are at a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to the commercialisation of our rugby properties, effectively. So that's why NZ Rugby is keen. But maybe the more interesting question is, what's in it for Silver Lake? Here's Liam Napier. Prior to last May, I'd never really heard of Silver Lake. You know, it's like you say, this big corporate organisation out of the States who have endless amounts of money, it seems. I guess rugby, they're looking at rugby and along with the CVC and the like, and they think it's grossly uh, undervalued and underexposed. So... Uh, equity firms don't come in for, for, for you know, shits and giggles for, fun, for a laugh. You know, they're, they're coming in to make money and they, they see rugby as an opportunity. They they believe that they can make a lot of money out of rugby through their investment, through um, taking the All Blacks to customers or, you know, audiences who who might know them but not might not be spending money yet. Mm. And, you know, that's where they'll really try and drive their investment over time and, and grow revenue and then potentially, you know, into time try and get out and, and maximise their investment so you know there's there's big risks involved with this so selling a stake in the national game it's a, a major major event you know probably the biggest event in rugby since the turn of professionalism 25 years ago and this is this will be the single biggest transaction of its nature in New Zealand sports history. Former All Blacks coach Laurie Maines told Morning Report his thoughts on the proposal. Rugby is struggling for funding at the moment and that's throughout the world not just New Zealand. So there may well be a need and a justifiable need for outside money to come in. But before I could say this is good for New Zealand rugby, I would need to know just exactly what it entails and how it ties up the New Zealand rugby union. Control of that silver fern, the brand, the all-black brand, needs to remain 100% in the hands of New Zealand rugby. 
if this deal were to go through and Silver Lake were to buy 15% of New Zealand, of what is essentially New Zealand rugby, would that, would that essentially mean, you know, that's like they're buying 15% of the All Blacks, they're buying 15% of the Highlanders, they're buying 15% of Zingaree Rugby Club in Dunedin, they're buying 15% of, you know, the Hamilton Boys High First 15? Is that is that the situation or is it a bit more complex than that? Yeah, it's a bit complex, I guess. So the, what the offer that they've made, $465 million, is for 15% of New Zealand rugby's commercial rights. Okay. So they'll be buying into a separate entity that is responsible for these commercial rights. So they're essentially saying, we want a slice of these revenue streams. Yeah. And so they will be looking to grow broadcast, sponsorship, merchandising, all those sort of areas. Uh, so no, they're not buying the All Blacks per se, but they will have a say in potentially where they where they play. You know, they might want to take them into... Japan or China or play out of the States to to try and tap into investors or uh, um, new markets. They might want to, in time, put a sponsorship across various teams' jerseys, you know. Um, They might want to introduce some new merchandising, you know. There there might be ways that they can connect with fans better and then they can monetise that, whether that's, you know, selling the All Blacks offshore broadcasting rights to Amazon or the like, you know, these sorts of things that they they, they can tap into these different networks of people that they have around the world and, and then look to, to, to massively increase the revenue and then they take a slice of that. And, and, and then in time, who knows, you know, in five to ten years if Silver Lake have done what they've done in other um, sporting codes at UFC and, and the like, they could be worth, you know, a couple of billion more, who knows, depending on how big, uh, the, what sort of markets they can get them into and, and what they can do with their level of expertise. The reported offer is $465 million New Zealand dollars for 15% of NZ Rugby's commercial rights. This values the whole business at just over $3 billion New Zealand dollars. And that really is something. It essentially suggests the NZ Rugby brand and assets are, or could be, as valuable as Super Bowl finalist Kansas City Chiefs or my beloved Arsenal Football Club. Sports administrator and former NZ Rugby head David Moffat was actually a bit taken aback by that reported offer. When you think about what that comprises of the commercial rights, it is the broadcasting rights, it's sponsorship rights. Then there are also things like ticket sales and food and beverage and the like for test matches. What they're going to have to have is a product that supports that valuation. So... You know, if they're not playing South Africa every year or if they're not playing three Bledisloes and the like, and depending upon what sort of tours come down this way, and you know, it seems to be a, a large number. However, if there's somebody out there willing to pay it, then I think you'll have to go with it. The offer that Silver Lake has made values the All Blacks at just over $3 billion New Zealand dollars, I think. And as you say, they're a, you know they're an investment firm. They wouldn't be investing, you know, they don't do this for charity. So clearly, they think that there's money to be made here. So why can't New Zealand rugby just make that money itself? Yeah, so I guess they have tried. They've taken the All Blacks to Chicago. Uh, they've played one-off games in Tokyo and Hong Kong, and and some of these games they clear like a million bucks for. They do those with you know different corporations that, that have set up these games previously, but they don't have the same level of expertise and global networks. So mm. 
if they were going to Amazon, you know, their their blueprint might look like X and Silver Lakes because they've done it ten times before might look like Y and it's just so much more slick and 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 so they have tried to do things, but I think they've basically reached the glass ceiling in terms of New Zealand rugby's level of expertise of, of maximising the All Blacks' value. Mm. You know, so that's partly where I think the attraction comes in. They they feel that Silver Lake can take their, their brand and, and elevate it to the next level. No doubt $465 million is a massive <laughs> incentive for anyone. But I think, you know, from what I've heard in time, they believe Silver Lake can help them bring in more revenue as well. It's not just a one-off cash injection, you know, in time. Um, they can they can help them build revenue streams that they cannot build by themselves. You know, uh, with the UFC, they that's just exploded, right? And, yeah. and Silver Lake were a big part of that. And because they've been to these different emerging markets and, and they have established contacts, they might be able to take the All Blacks to areas that, you know, maybe the All Blacks go to Dubai and play a game there and some sheik puts up millions of dollars like they do for for an Anthony Joshua fight and the like. I don't think anything's off the table in terms of where this could go. And it's basically because they've got a track record of doing those, these things and they've done them before mm. that, you know, they just have so much more expertise in, in trying to get some of these things off the ground. Some people might hear that UFC comparison. And, uh, I mean, the UFC is amazing from a business point of view. It really is absolutely staggering what's happened there. But a lot of people might look at the way that UFC is marketed and think it's quite sort of, uh, you know, garish and a bit sort of distasteful and yuck. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart... I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f- he wants. It might be financially successful, but, you know. 100%, yeah. And could that happen with rugby? I mean, this is our national rugby organization. It's not like it's just a franchise that was created out of thin air. This is New Zealand rugby. Yeah, it's an interesting point you raise. I guess from a, a purely selfish perspective as well, what, what's one hope, I guess, is that there's a real sea change in the the way New Zealand rugby promotes their athletes and who they allow them to be or what they allow them to say. There's a real sort of conservat- natural conservatism that come with rugby players and there could be a bit of a sea change with Silver Lake if they if, if the deal goes through that they ask them to be more self-promoting. You know, people are driven in sports by personalities mm. and, you know, historically New Zealand rugby has been just very, very protective and conservative and, you know, they, um, they school their athletes to be very bland. She's the way I think our bench came on and made an impact in that second half. But um, just a classic Chiefs-Blues game that we've come to expect. And, um, yeah, we're stoked to get our campaign off on the right foot. You know, they're going to have to put themselves out there a little bit and show some personality and have a bit of fun and do some different things. So, you know, that's one personal hope that, um, you know, there's a bit of a sea change with the way that... Uh, the athletes are allowed, you know, and, and there has been a bit of change, you know, if you look at like Adi Severe with his podcast. Um, was that the first time you've been to Tonga or not? Back to Tonga or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, that's my second time, but the first time um had to go take care of some business. The first time. Oh, hey. If you know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> and other players creating their own platforms. Um, to speak on, and they are a lot more open and and 
delve into topics that they wouldn't do otherwise because they feel it's a safe space and and all those sorts of things. So, you know, the more of that, the better, in my opinion. You know, I think it's been quite well publicised that there is a desire to create more meaningful inter-hemisphere competitions, whether that be at an international level. So that they talked about that League Nations, League of Nations or whatever, that culminated in a final every year. Um, and also, you know, I think it's inevitable that we will have some form of Club World Cup played. I don't think it'll be every year, which I think is quite good. I think it should be, you know, every other year or once every four years, something to, to get excited about. But the, the biggest challenge with matches is that, you know, if you look at NBA or you look at NFL or, or whatever, which I think sort of lead the way in terms of how sports marketed or, or done in this part of the world, I think NRL does a, a pretty good job as well. But they are they're so dominant; those leagues are so dominant in their respective sports that that they sort of dominate the calendar and they run the calendar. So the NFL is a seventeen week competition. NBA goes a bit longer, but it's just played within. You know, America. Whereas rugby is a 52-week sport. You know, every single weekend there is rugby being played in one of the hemispheres, and that's why we have these international release windows, which are very defined around when clubs are not supposed to put any restrictions on players being released out to play for their national teams, etc. So, when you are looking at trying to bring in new competitions or different games or whatever, it's really, really difficult to find space in the calendar to be able to hold those competitions. And so that means you've got player welfare issues because, you know, the guys are getting broken and the girls, are, you know, not so much yet, but the demands on them, if we just keep piling rugby, rugby, rugby on these people, um, they love playing, but it's the training and it's the preparation, et cetera. We can't do that. So in order to, to have a real sort of change, a, a drastic change, it needs everyone to agree. You know, you need all the, you know, the, you need the European teams, the European clubs, uh, New Zealand, Japan, Australia, everyone has to agree. So that's why it is so difficult um, to do something. But I, all the signs I'm hearing and seeing are that a Club World Cup will happen in the next cycle, World Cup cycle type thing. The other side, you know, in terms of marketing rugby and all that sort of stuff, no, I don't think we did a good job of it. The, the, the down here in New Zealand, we put massive restrictions on the players and what they can do, which I understand because... The Super Rugby Clubs and the Provincial Unions and New Zealand Rugby are, are doing the best they can to, to monetise the game, so they don't like individuals out there taking revenue if, if it could be a sponsor of them. Um, but I think that's at the detraction of, you know, we're not talking to the younger audience. You know, they, everyone knows who LeBron James is, you know, Steph Curry, these guys, they follow them, um, and we probably haven't got that mix right yet. Like, we're not allowing enough noise around the game to help market it. We're not letting the, the individual um, express themselves enough yet. Just finally on this, it seems kind of cool and exciting, but are there any residual feelings of weirdness to you about the idea of selling a chunk of a national sports administrator? You know? Like if there was a big sort of Snickers advertisement on the Beehive or something like that. You know, it's just it's a little, yeah. bit, a little bit surreal, you know? It's inevitable that we have to do something. You know, the, 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 the gap between the have and the have nots. And, and I, you know, I don't know, but I suspect there's an element of watching CVC running around picking off a whole lot of assets. And perhaps it's a good thing to have another big player in the market to create some tension so that, um, you know, we're not completely ostracised or, or left out. Um, 
Yeah, I, look, and look, I, I'm sure it's got a long way to go. You know, the provincial unions, ultimately, um, you know, the way rugby is the, constitutionally in New Zealand, you know, New Zealand rugby is an incorporated society with stakeholders of the provincial unions who in turn stakeholders of the clubs. So there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, I'm sure, yet. And, and I guess, you know, there's lots of people that we entrust with being guardians of the game and the community, etc. And, you know, there's going to have to be a consensus that this is the right thing. And, you know, it's a bit like picking all blacks from overseas. You know, like I think you can make an argument that, that we should be doing that or we could be doing that, but equally you understand why we don't because it's just a step, you know, that, that we've never wanted to take. And, you know, there were, there were outcries when we put um, AIG on the front of the jersey. Um, but I don't think anybody, you know, really worries too much about that now. So it's kind of just a natural evolution. And if you want more professionalism and you want, you know, you, you want our guys to be... Um, more individual and you want to support them and you want to follow them, etc. then, you know, professionalism is the, is the answer. So is Silver Lake the answer? I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's in everyone's interest to at least walk down the path and, and see if it can work. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Simon Porter and Liam Napier. Matewa. Newsroom.